Hello and welcome again to our study of the Dhammapada. Today we go on to verses number 26 and 27, which read as follows. Pamadamanuyunjanti baladume dhinojana appamadancha medhavi dannangse thangva rakati ma pamadam anuyunjetha ma kamarati santhavang appamatto hi chayanto papoti vipulang sukhang so two verses again on the practice of meditation the Appamadavaga is going to be mostly about the practice of meditation because the word Appamada we translate as heedfulness but it's really the core of what is meant by meditation or meditation practice in Buddhism it's translated directly by the Buddha as mindfulness it says uh, the meaning of the word Appamada is to be mindful all the time to never be without mindfulness or without sati without remembrance or recollection so, but the meaning of the direct meaning of these verses, pamada manuyunjanti, they they indulge or they uh, partake of heedlessness or negligence, the fools and the unwise people. But other are those who those who are wise, medhavi, the wise. Uh, partake in appamada, partake in heedfulness and guard it, rakati danang setang, like a, a high or a special treasure so the wise guard mindfulness or, or heedfulness as a great treasure and then the Buddha says ma pamadam manuyun ceta don't engage in heed, heedlessness, in negligence. Ma kamarati santavang Don't partake or indulge in uh, or don't become intoxicated by, by sensuality. Because, he, because those who, only those who are heedful and meditating attain great happiness uh, and or attain a profound happiness. Paputi vipulang sukhang, a profound happiness is attained. So this is a very important teaching to understand and it's something that really cuts right to the heart of our attachments in, in the worldly sphere. Really good story, very short story. Um, but the story goes that in Sawati there was a, a holiday and uh, it kind of seems like a strange holiday, but, but there are parallels even in modern times. It was a holiday where anything went, anything was allowed. So no longer you had to, you, you, there was no, no sense of respect for anyone. The people who partook in this holiday would abandon all sense of respect for mother, father, for boss, for teacher, and so on. And they would go from house to house, probably drunk and abuse and revile everyone, you pig, you cow, you goat, calling them all sorts of horrible names. And the game was that if you wanted them to go away, you had to give them stuff. So it was like trick-or-treat, basically, like Halloween, except they really did it, and they were really mean and nasty. And they would stay there until you give them some money to, or some, some 
wine or I don't know, whatever, food, and then they would go away. And so the thing was that in Savati there was a great proportion of people who were enlightened, or Sotapanna or Sakitagami, you know, at some stage of enlightenment, so they obviously wouldn't partake in such a festival. And so they had a horrible time for seven days. And they asked the Buddha not to come to Savati because if the Buddha went there, they would revile the Buddha. And that would be very bad karma for them. So they said to the Buddha, please stay, stay in Jetavana and we'll bring you food every day. So they brought food for seven days. And then after the seventh day, they came to see the Buddha and said, oh, venerable sir, we stayed so awful for these seven days. It was so, so, so tiring for us to have to put up with this silliness. Uh, why are people like this? No? Why do people act in such a way? Isn't it crazy that they do? And the Buddha said, oh yes, this is the difference between those who are uh, enlightened or those who have understood the truth and those who are still mired in delusion. And so the first verse here, and then he, he told these verses, and the first verse explains the difference between the two, that an ordinary person, a person who has no idea about what is right and what is wrong and has never contemplated these things or, or investigated what might be the truth, uh, what the things that they value are the most base and, and, and uh, useless qualities. For instance, uh, negligence or drunkenness. So an ordinary person and people in ordinary life will, will actually... Um, they will the things that they will cherish are the times when they were the least mindful and the least uh, clear in their mind, right? So when you think in, in lay life, what, what people, or not in lay life, for, for people who haven't practiced meditation, the kind of things that they cherish, they cherish those times when they were drunk or when they did something silly and they were having a great time and, and doing all sorts of crazy things when they were young and crazy and how wonderful it was and so on. They cherish these times when they do the, 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 the craziest things. And so people who, for instance, in this festival, they would, they would always think back to, oh, wasn't it a wonderful time where we could say whatever we want? Didn't we have a great time then? And they make it out to be this wonderful thing. And a person who, is in a person who has actually taken the time to see the consequences of our actions and the consequences of, of every individual mind state uh, is totally the opposite. And actually cherishes as a treasure those times when they are cogent, those times when they are aware. And one of the big reasons for this, I think, is that a person who has no idea or no, no skill in, in, in understanding experience will have a very difficult time just being with reality. Right? Reality is the worst thing for them, the last thing they want to focus on, because it's unpleasant, it's, it's difficult to deal with. So pain comes up and there are tears in their eyes and when someone's saying things to them that they don't like and they get angry uh, when they have to do work and then they get become frustrated or bored or, or depressed or so on. The last thing they want to do is to focus on, on reality. And the, so, so the, the whole um, goal or, or the, the, the point in Buddhism, in the Buddhist teaching, is to come back to reality and to find a way to be happy at all times, in any situation, not have our happiness depend on some specific circumstance uh, and, and not have it, it require some specific uh, situation. Because 
when your happiness depends on something, it becomes an addiction and it becomes a partiality where you, you, you aren't able to accept the rest of reality because you're thinking about or wanting or, or uh, striving after a, a certain experience. And the experience has to become further and f more and more uh, extravagant in order to satisfy the cravings because our uh, our pleasure stimulus is isn't a static system. No. When you get what you want, you want more of it. When you get more of it, you want even more, and it gets builds and builds and builds until you. The only way you can be happy is to have some crazy festival like this, where you go and do something, you know, because you're repressing these desires, you're repressing your your your, your greed, your anger, and so on. There, I, I heard about this one society, this one uh, group of people where they will engage in, in, in uh, group, uh, group sex. No, they will get all together and have, have a, a big orgy just like, like animals. And for them, I, I mean, this may sound coarse and rude to say, but it's actually a philosophy that they have that, well, if this is a, a way to find pleasure, then you should strive to, to indulge in it to, to the most extreme uh, extent possible. And so it's a philosophy that they have. That, and the idea being that as long as you can get it, then what's wrong with it? Because you can be happy all the time. This is the idea. And this is for, so this is for people who don't see what they're doing to their mind. They think it's somehow static. Well, if I want it any time, I can get it. And then if I don't want it, I can come back and not have it. Without seeing the, the effect that it's having on your mind and on the, the pleasure stimulus systems in the brain and so on and how actually you're creating an addiction and you're creating an intense partiality. This is an example of an extreme state. There are societies where they don't allow this sort of thing and where you have to be totally uh, um, you know, formal and, and polite and proper at all times, conservative, you know, ethical and so on, and uh, any, any kind of emo showing of emotion is considered bad form. But then they, then, so they, 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 were, they still have these desires and they repress them and repress them and repress them. And then they have these, these festivals. So there are, I've heard places where everything has to be proper and everyone has a role and a, a hierarchy and so on. But then they have these parties where they get drunk and anything goes. And like you have, I heard about the boss getting together with, you know, having crazy things. And so these are the things that I hear in the world, and these things really do go on. I mean, it, it, it's actually kind of embarrassing to talk about these things, but, but this is what's really happening in the world. People are so uh, lost that they actually think these things are, are uh, a, a cause for happiness. And so there are, there are scientists and, and um, researchers who have studied this and see that it really goes step by step by step until finally it, it, it becomes such a perverse thing where you're involving you know, these groups or, or even, you know, they were saying on this one site, this one, um, this one article that I read, it eventually gets to with animals and so on, right? where, where you, you, you find, your, this is where you find your pleasure. And so this is the kind of thing that we would have seen in Savati. Of course, it, it just talks about reviling people but uh, for sure that they, they had other festivals um, in, in regards to sensuality and this is where the whole Kama Sutra came up and so on. And this is how people in the world think that they can find happiness. The, the, there are, so there, there are two 
ways that we understand this. For, for someone who practices meditation, it's obvious that these things don't lead to happiness. Right? You engage in them, you indulge in them, and you find that you're just back where you started from. You're, you're still unhappy inside. You're still unsatisfied, even, even with these things. Um, but it, it, really, the, the idea is that we're trying to find happiness here and now. Even if you can say that, that, well, I may be unhappy here, but when I get what I want, at that time I'm happy. So what's wrong with it? I'm, I'm getting a happiness, right? At the time when I get it, there's pleasure. But the point is that the, the whole fact that you, the, the, the bare fact that you want that is a sign that you're not happy. Right? If you were happy, you wouldn't need to strive for something. You wouldn't need to go for something. You wouldn't need to build something. You wouldn't need to create something. You wouldn't need to a attain something or get something. If, so the radical uh, task that we have is to find happiness without getting that, without getting anything, to find happiness here and now. And it's actually really a simple thing. And, and if you think about it, it, it's how it should be, that we should find happiness here and now. Why should our happiness depend on something over there? Why can't our happiness be here and now? It, it's a very valid question, but it's one that we never ask and we always um, overlook. We think, obviously, if you want happiness, you have to strive for it. You have to go for it. Well, the truth is that even to find happiness here and now, you have to strive for it. And so this is why, actually, often people will find that uh, the practice of meditation is something that is, is uncomfortable and unpleasant, right? The point being because you, you, you always want to go out for something. You want to go after that and you, you, you're, you're trying to train yourself out of that. So sometimes you stop yourself and you say no and then you feel unhappy. Or sometimes you go after it and then you feel guilty or so on. Until you finally are able to ch change your mind and, and straighten your mind so that you're able to see the... Uh, the, the goal to see the the um, the object of your desire and to simply see it for what it is and to be able to live with the the perception of something without having to to chase after it so when you think of something that you normally would like you're just thinking of it when you hear a sound that you 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 find pleasant you just hear the sound when you see something beautiful you just see it and you're able to, to experience happiness in that moment without having your happiness be only when you get that object and you find yourself at, at peace here and now. But it's something that you have to strive for. So we can say that there are these two strivings. This is what the Buddha said. People who, who strive after pleasure and trying to find some object of happiness and people who strive to be free from that, to find happiness here and now. It's really two different paths. It's not that we're striving to achieve something or get something. We're trying to stop striving, to stop achieving, to stop chasing after. It's also very difficult. So these are the two paths, and this is what the Buddha lays out here. That for ordinary people, they will uh, just let themselves go. You know, drink alcohol and take drugs and engage in all sorts of foolishness, enjoying the happiness. But they don't see how it's changing their minds, and they don't see how it's building these uh, these mindsets. We're not static beings. This is another thing. Is this shows how important the Buddha's teaching of karma is, uh, and it goes a lot deeper than we actually think. Because I don't have karma, you don't have karma. Karma is the truth of reality. There only is karma. We create ourselves out of karma. The whole of our being is created out of karma. The whole of our life is created out of karma. There's no I 
there's only the actions, the things that we do. So everything that we do creates us. The reason why we get angry is because we've built up anger. The reason why we have greed and want things is because we build up greed and want things year after year. That's all we are. We're these accumulation or these conglomeration, aggregation of, of, of mind states, both positive and negative. Why we have love and kindness is because we've developed this, because we've come to see the truth, because we've come to see how how, how horrible it is to suffer, and so we don't want to see other beings suffer, and so on. We are what we do. We are according to the, the things that we do and the qualities that we build up. So, it's important to understand the difference here, because I think all of us can, can, can see in our own lives and in our own past this attachment to negligence, this attachment to having fun and enjoying life, and so on, without seeing how it's creating addiction, how it's um, actually feeding our dissatisfaction. So it's making it harder for us to just be here and now. When we come back to be just here and now, we see how radically opposed it is that, that these two paths are. Being Just being here and now is something totally different and completely opposed in the sense that the more we strive to achieve happiness and strive to, to achieve pleasure, the harder it is for us to find happiness and peace here and now. The more we find peace and happiness here and now, the less we want, the less we need of anything. If you think just where we are right here, right now, when we find happiness here, everything else disappears. Suddenly the whole world, all of who we are, our lives, our friends, our family, uh, all of our thoughts, all of our ambitions have just uh, disappeared, vanished in thin air. That's the first verse. The second verse is an injunction by the Buddha, that once you see this, if you're a wise person, you should not engage in negligence. Don't engage in it, because it will make it harder for you to find happiness. It will make you less happy, less satisfied, less at peace with yourself. Don't be, uh, don't get caught up in delight in sensuality. This is what the Buddha says. Because this is, you know, sensuality is really the, 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 the worst of them. Uh, it's the most coarse of our desires. We may have ambitions or so on, but our desire for sensuality, sights and sounds and smells and tastes and feelings, is the worst because it involves the body and it involves chemicals and, and, and hormones and so on and, and, and dopamine in the brain and so on and this addiction cycle, which, uh, you know, as I said, is is actually creating what we call sankhara. It's, it's forming our reality. It's changing who we are from the very core. It's not us doing this. It's this doing becomes us. This is who we become. And he says, why, why should, why should you follow what I say? Why should you not be negligent? And why should you not indulge in delight and sensuality? He says, because it's only the apamato, only by being heedful, jayanto, and meditating does one attain papoti vipulang sukhang, a profound, the, the profoundest happiness. So, the happiness here is the happiness of peace. The Buddha said, nati santi parang sukhang. There is no happiness without peace. The happinesses that we call happiness, the pleasures in the world, the things that we say are our happiness or are a way to find um, true satisfaction are not real happiness because they're impermanent, they change. They're dependent. They require some attainment that is also impermanent. They require an object. 
and they create partiality, they create their opposite, which is suffering and dissatisfaction. And so one, the more one indulges, the more one goes back and forth between one and the other, pleasure and pain. And one is never at peace, one is never able to just be here and now. One, one's life is always about seeking after this, running away from that, seeking, running, seeking, running, being pushed and pulled back and forth. And one can never just be here and now. One never has the, uh, the ability or the, the safety, the stability of just being here and now. They can build up some kind of pleasant state of being for some time and then see it washed away in the end. At the, at the very end, then when they die, they will be in a state of loss because of their attachments, because of the things that they still are clinging to. So the profound happiness that the Buddha is talking about is peace here and now, being able to be in the here and now without any clinging or any attachment. So that's the teaching today. That's Dhammapada verses 26 and 27. Thank you for tuning in. I wish you all to find peace, happiness and freedom from suffering. Thank you.